Who here was taken back to a skating rink in junior high or high school? Yeah, okay. So nothing makes you feel older than telling your staff, hey, there's this music video from 1988 by Rob Bass called It Takes Two. We're going to remake it as a staff. And then several of them tell you, I wasn't even born yet. That makes you feel really, really Old. Hey, if you're new here, my name's Jeff Manis. Uh, from now on, you can call me DJ Jazzy Jeff. And I am uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. We don't always remake old school rap videos, but we do love to have fun here at Element. And so we'll do things like that from time to time. Uh, no matter where you're joining us from, whether you're here in the auditorium or joining us on video somewhere today or this week, uh, just so glad that all of you are with us today as we're kicking off a brand new five-week sermon series about relationships called It Takes Two. Now, I am notoriously bad in our home at putting things together or fixing things. As I've shared before, I am not a handyman at all. And anytime I try to be one, whether it's putting together an entertainment unit for our TV or trying to fix the screen door, I inevitably do something wrong, will throw something in anger, or do something I later regret. And I ran across a video on YouTube recently that I'm glad was not me, but reminded myself of me trying to fix something in the house. It's a great reminder for us here, so go ahead and check out this video. Oh my goodness. I've seen it like 50 times. It is still so funny to me. Like, I'm pretty sure I've looked just like that before, trying to fix a screen door in our house. What's funny is, I'm not sure that every screen door has this, but the last time I was working on our screen door at our house, I never noticed it before, I didn't even know it was there. On the very bottom of our screen door is a sticker. On that sticker are written instructions on how to adjust the wheel so it slides freely. On the, I never knew that was there. I don't know if every screen door has that, but, but ours does. That, that video and this idea of fixing something actually reminds me of how many of us approach relationships and sexuality. We, we, we have this desired outcome, a relationship that flows freely and perfectly on the track. Sexual fulfillment or intimacy in a relationship. And the reality is God actually gave us directions on how to get there. But I think sometimes we either don't know they are there, we don't believe God's directions are right, or we just decide, I'm, I'm impatient, I'm going to figure this out on my own. And we do something we later regret, and we end up injuring people, even ourselves, in the process. I don't think I need to go into all the statistics on divorce and sexual addictions and wounds from sexual abuse done to us and sexual misuse of our own accord. I don't need to go into all of that. For us, I think probably to all admit, whether you believe in God and his ways or not, overall in our world, in our culture today, we're not doing a great job with relationships. I think we can probably all agree on that. We're not doing a good job with relationships or sexuality to be honest. 
And surely, I'm thinking, surely as I look at the landscape of our, of our world, surely there is a better way. So for those of us who are here today that, that you may not believe in God or believe in his ways, now I'm thrilled that, that you are here. And while I will be preaching this entire series through the lens of God, his word, and his ways, even if you don't believe that, doesn't change our feeling or our love for you. And I'm convinced that you could still put the principles we talk about into practice, and you will start to see a definite change in the way you live and in your relationships. The reality is our desire for relationships, our desire for intimacy is good. It's good. Even our desire for sexual fulfillment is a good thing. And it's good because God's the one that gave us those desires in the first place. God invented those things in humanity. But our desires, our desire for, for love and sex too often become the focus of our pursuits. So those desires might be good, but our enemy, the devil, is a master of taking good things and distracting us from God things. He takes something good and distracts us from something that God desires for us. So here's the big idea for today. It really is the foundation for this entire series that we're going to do. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. If desire becomes my focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. If desire for relationship, for intimacy, for sexual fulfillment, if desire becomes my focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. Because, you may not agree with this, but this is what I believe. God wants us to be fulfilled in his love more than he wants us to fall in love. He wants us to be fulfilled. Falling in love with someone without being fulfilled in God will only lead you to a life of frustration. Constantly looking for fulfillment in someone or something else. The reality is there is no person on this planet who can fulfill your desire for love because every person you fall in love with is as imperfect as you are. And only the perfectness of God can fill that void in our life. So, if desire becomes my focus, if I'm just focused, I want to be in love, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. So if distraction is such a big thing, here's the big question I think we have to ask. How do I keep from being distracted? How do I keep from being distracted? Because distraction in relationships is easy, is it not? That's the easy part. Staying focused is the hard part. So we're going to look at the book of Song of Solomon in the Old Testament portion of the Bible, the Jewish scripture. If you've got your Bible, turn to Song of Solomon. Uh, if you find Psalms about in the middle of your Bible and go to the right, you'll go through Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, poetic uh, book about a young couple, and we're going to watch this young couple as they go from, from attraction to dating to engagement to uh, a wedding to their wedding night to then conflict resolution and a thriving marriage there. So not only do I believe that the entire Bible is full of practical advice, which by the way, if you're here and you don't even own a Bible, we'll give you one for free. Just ask for one at guest services before you go. We'll get you a Bible. But the Bible is full of practical advice for love, 
marriage, sex, and intimacy. And he actually included this entire book on just that. So Song of Solomon, in some versions, it's called the Song of Songs. It's the same book. It's eight chapters long. And over the next five weeks, including today, we're going to walk through all eight chapters of the Song of Solomon. Now, please understand, because we're taking five weeks to go through eight chapters, I won't be able to read every verse of every chapter or talk about every detail of this book. We're not going to talk about, we're not going to talk about every detail of relationships or marriage or intimacy as well, but we are going to look at some incredible God-honoring principles that God has given us that relate to our life no matter our marital status, okay? No matter our relationship status, these relate to all of us every single week. If you do want to dive deeper into the details of the Song of Solomon, there's a great book that I've read twice now. I'm leaning heavily on this book, preparing for this series. It's called The Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. We have some available out at the Element Store, along with some other books that I am highly recommending if you want to do some reading on love, marriage, relationships, and our sexuality. Those are out there. The Book of Romance, phenomenal book, really gets down to the details of this book of the Bible. So if desire becomes our focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. So how do I keep from being distracted? Which, by the way, let me just say this. Marriage does not cure distraction, right? Just because you're married doesn't mean you aren't distracted. In fact, I would go a little bit deeper and say this. If you are not fulfilled without being married, marriage won't fix your distraction. It will actually fuel it. Because you'll find yourself married thinking that would fulfill you, and all of a sudden it didn't, so you'll go looking for it in someone or something else. So marriage only fuels our distraction if we aren't first fulfilled in our lives. So Song of Solomon, we're going to start right at chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read a couple verses here and make some comments. Here's what it says. We're going to be watching the story of this couple, a young man and a young woman, kind of falling in love all the way through their marriage. This is what it says. This is Solomon's Song of Songs more wonderful than any other. Then it tells us the young woman is now speaking. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. Hello, we're getting it right off the bat with some physical attraction. This woman says, kiss me and kiss me again, showing us that she was attracted to this young man and wanted to be physically romantic with him. Now, we're going to see later in this sermon, there are some very clear boundaries this couple sets for their physical involvement, but the desire for that physical involvement is there. So right off the top, I think it's good for us to be reminded that when it comes to relationships, attraction and desire are both permissible from God and acceptable. That it's not wrong for us. To be attracted to someone, it might be wrong in how we pursue that attraction or who we are are, are pursuing that attraction with, but attraction and desire in relationship, I think, hopefully we understand, are both permissible and acceptable. We We are wired to be physically attracted, even sexually attracted, to someone else. But look at this. It starts right off with attraction. This is so, so huge. This next verse changes the game for relationships. Song of Solomon 1, verse 3. The young woman still speaking. How pleasing is your fragrance, your name. Everyone help me out and say name. name. 
Your name is like the spreading fragrance of scented oils. No wonder all the young women love you. So how do I keep from being distracted? The first way is this. Number one, focus on who you are. Focus on who you are. This young woman said about the young man that your name, your name is like the spreading fragrance of, of scented oils, that, that all the young women, they want to be in relationship with this man, but not because of his good looks, but because of his good name. Here's what we're being told. We're being told that, in other words, his character was more attractive than his caricature, his soul more pleasing than his stature, that this young man worked hard at building up who he was more than seeking out who he could be with. I think sometimes, especially in our singleness, we are fo so focused on finding someone that in the process we lose ourselves. In our singleness, let me challenge us. In our singleness, let us, let us stop, tr stop trying to find the right person. And in our marriages, let's stop relying on our spouse to be a certain person. And whether we are single or married, let us commit to start being the right person ourselves. To be something, have a good name. Yes, I know, I've got a, something in my glasses. I know that for many singles, because I've been there before, that you have this immense desire to find someone to love and someone who will love you back, to get married right day, someday. So, so right now, singleness feels like a burden for you. And the church has not done a great job, by the way, of speaking to or even celebrating singles. And I've been guilty of this as well. Typically in the church, we don't help because we kind of treat singleness as something less than married. That if you're not married, that is the end goal. Let's get them married. As if somehow singleness is a season, but once you get married, that's when real life begins. If you hear any laughter, it's married people laughing, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I know we've not done a great job at that. And I get it. Like, I am far removed from being single. My wife and I will be married this summer for 21 years. She would say happily married for 15, so I get it, right? So I get it. We, we, we are far from singleness, but I can still speak truth into singleness, can I not? Well, whether you want me to or not, I'm going to. Here, here's the truth. Being single is not a burden. It can actually be a blessing. It just all comes down to our focus. It all comes down to our, to our focus. That God singles, God has a plan and a purpose for you right now that has nothing to do with finding a mate. And if your focus is on finding a mate, you will miss the purpose he has for you right now. This is good for us to understand if we're already married too. Because we, we lose sight of this just as easily. Oftentimes, our ultimate desire relationally is to find the one and get married. If I could just find the one, then I would be fulfilled. 
But God's ultimate desire for, for us is not for us to find the one so we can be fulfilled. His desire for us is that we would be fulfilled so we don't have to rely on finding the one. And by the way, this idea that there is the one person I'm supposed to marry is an absolute myth. It's a myth. Think about it. We, we say it all the time, if I could just find the one. Okay, think about this. If just one person marries someone who is not the one for them, everyone else in history in about 50 years will marry the wrong one. Think about it. If one person marries another person and this is the wrong one for them, then this person married the wrong one, okay? So the one they were supposed to marry now can't marry them and the one they were supposed to marry can't marry them. So now those other people will marry the wrong person too. And seriously, in about seven weddings, we've all married the wrong person. That's why we must stop trying to find the one and start becoming the one that God wants us to be. God's ultimate desire is not for us to be happily married. His ultimate desire is that we be whole and complete by the power of the Holy Spirit so that if I get married, my foundation is not in my spouse, it's in the power of Jesus Christ. And if I don't get married or if I somehow, God forbid, lose my spouse, my fulfillment is not found in my spouse. My fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. This is, there, there's actually very little invite, advice in Scripture of finding the right person, but from cover to cover and verse to verse, you'll find all sorts of information about becoming the right person. Our focus is off. First Peter Peter, the apostle of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples, said this in his letter, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles. When you're like me, you don't worry about that. Expensive jewelry or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to who? God. That this young man had a good name good name. The reverse is true by the, well, by, by the way as well. If you're single, so here's a real strong challenge for our singles again. If you're single and you desire to be married someday, which by the way, you don't ever have to get married and God still has a purpose and plan for your life, but I get it. If you're single, you desire to be married someday. I challenge you, don't just know what you're attracted to physically. Start figuring out who, what kind of person you should be attracted to spiritually. In fact, I would challenge you if you're single today, if you've not done this, to go home today and make a list. Make a list of some of the things that you would like to see in a future mate. And I want you to have more things on the character side than on the caricature side. More things on the, on the spirit side than the stature side. Tommy Nelson in his book, the book of Romance says this, there's nothing wrong with being handsome and appealing, but the real issue is not whether a man is good looking, but whether a man is looking for what is good in God's eyes. If desire becomes my focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. This is true before or after marriage, by the way. But attraction and desire will never fulfill. We are only fulfilled by becoming the one we need to be, not by finding the one we want to be with. 
So how do I keep from being distracted? Focus on who you are. This goes right into point number two, flowing from whose you are. Focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are. There is this this little subtle truth in the scripture we're about to read. It's subtle, but it's so profound that, that my character will only be as strong as the source from which it flows. So who I am has got to flow from whose I am, who I belong to spiritually. Verse 5, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, the woman still speaking says this, I am dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem. Other versions say, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tent. She's describing her actual skin color, but not just her skin color. There's, there's two phrases of importance here. The first one, I am dark but beautiful. The second one, O women or O daughters of Jerusalem, that, are, that are, we're going to kind of dive into here. So I learned this through Tommy Nelson's book. But in that culture, light skin in a woman was more desirable than darker skin. It meant that she most likely came from wealth. So she was not working physical labor outside where her skin would turn dark. She was on the inside of a house being pampered, sheltered, and cared for. So basically, this young woman, in describing herself to this young man she was attracted to, she started out saying, physically, I'm not what the world would desire. I'm not going to be on a cover of a magazine, basically. So then that phrase, O women of Jerusalem, O daughters of Jerusalem, it caught my eye. So I started studying it. Now, not every theologian I read came to the same conclusion. But one commentator I read said that when this young girl used the phrase women or daughters of Jerusalem, she was referring to the women of her faith. In this case, the Jewish faith, God's chosen people, in which Jerusalem was called the mother of the Jews. So she could have been saying, my skin might be dark, but let me remind you, I'm a daughter of God. A daughter of God. That the way I look to guys, she could have been saying, is not as important as the way I look to God. That who I am flows from whose I am. I belong to God first. I'm a daughter of Jerusalem. Proverbs 31, verse 30, I prayed this verse over my wife and my daughters every single day. It says this, charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. That the outward beauty fades, but inward beauty remains. Sabrina and I were talking about our marriage this week in a devotional that we're doing together on the YouVersion Bible app, and she sent me a comment through the YouVersion devotional, and she just said this, our relationship would be a mess right now if we only pursued each other. Jesus has to be first in all things. I couldn't have said it better myself. I offered for her to preach, but she didn't want to. (laughs) So listen, the most important person in my marriage is not my spouse. It's Jesus. And hang with me because some of you won't like what I'm about to say next. But the second most important person in my marriage is not my spouse. It's me. Why? Because I can't control what my wife believes, says, or does. I can only control me. 
So we, we titled the series, It Takes Two, with the illusion of a man and a woman, it takes two in a marriage. But there's more to it than that. Because quite literally, with me and Jesus, it only takes two to make a thing go right. That if I have to have someone else, then Jesus is not enough for me. So with me and Jesus, it takes two. It's not me and the person I want to give my life to. It's me and the person who gave his life for me, Jesus. That's the only place I'll be fulfilled. And again, the reverse is also true. That not only should my relationship with Jesus be of utmost importance in every relationship of my life, romantic or not, but it should also be of utmost importance in any person I choose to pursue romantically as well. That their relationship with God should be the number one quality on the list. It makes sense, by the way, that this young woman would highlight her faith after her lack of fair skin, because I think as a, as a daughter of God, she would have known how important that this faith was to God and how important it should be to a man of God. And so if his name was great, if he's a great man of God, he would need to know that she is also a daughter of God. But it's not just an Old Testament principle, it's a New Testament one as well. So in 1 Corinthians 7, this whole chapter in this letter from a guy named Paul, who was a wicked, murderous man that God saved and changed, wrote all these letters in the Bible. This one, 1 Corinthians 7, this whole chapter is on marriage. So here's 1 Corinthians 7, 39, and it says this, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry someone, anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. Only if he loves the Lord. Now, I understand Paul here is talking about a second marriage after a spouse dies, but can we just have some common sense? And I don't think it's a stretch to say that what God desires for a second marriage, he desires for a first one as well, <laughs> right? I think we can make that leap, right? So Paul says we're free to marry, but only if they love the Lord. That who they are needs to flow from whose they are. So for the Christians, the believers in the room, if you're not a believer, you can kind of tune me out for about 30 seconds or just point at everybody else and say, this is for you, not me. But So for the believers in the room, I don't care. I do not care how attractive someone is, how great of chemistry you seem to have, or even how great of a character they seem to display. If that character is not rooted in a white, hot relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to stop pursuing that person. Had one amen, and that's fine. And I know you might be sitting here thinking, well, I can change them. Unless your name is Holy Spirit, no, you can't. You can't. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're married to someone, that if you're married to someone who isn't a Christian, that you're now allowed to get divorced, because in the same chapter, Paul says each of us should continue to live in whatever situation God's placed you. That if you're single, be faithful in singleness. If you're married, be faithful in your marriage. That wherever you find yourself, be faithful first. Okay? So if the person, if you're single, and the person you are pursuing is not challenging you to get closer to Jesus and his holiness, they are not the right person for you. If that, if that person is the right person, they will draw you closer to Jesus and his standards. 
not pull you further away, which leads right into the last thing we have to do to keep from being distracted. If desire becomes our focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. So how do I keep from being distracted? Got to focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are. Number three, fueling how you are. And I'm not talking about being happy or sad. I'm talking about the way we live, our purity, okay? Now, we're going to talk more about purity as the series goes on, so I don't want to eat a bunch of time here. But there's some profound truths in this story of this young man and young woman. Song of Solomon 1, verses 8 through 11, the young man now speaking to his desired gal says this, If you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among pharaoh's stallions. Nothing like calling your girl a horse. Gets them going every time. Don't try this at home. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck enhanced by a string of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. And then he stops. Never noticed this before and it blew me away. He stops complimenting her at her neck. And this was so, so huge for me. Because we are going to see in two weeks, we're going to see in chapter four, this couple's honeymoon night, okay? At the end of chapter three is their wedding. All of chapter four is their wedding night. And friends, it gets steamy, like really steamy. Like in fact, Song of Solomon is so steamy that in this culture, Jewish boys were not allowed to read it because they were so afraid it would ignite something in them that wasn't yet meant to be ignited. So they couldn't even read it, okay? Two weeks, we're gonna read it. So that's your warning. So I'm gonna go easy today because I didn't give warning for the parents in the room and we don't want weird lunch conversations. But when you compare what he says about her here in chapter one, when they're dating or attracted, to what he says about her in chapter four after they're married, when you compare those, you need this emoji, the shocked and embarrassed emoji. (laughs) Because in chapter four, I'm going to go easy, just don't get worried, but in chapter four, I'm going to speak in code. He also compliments her cheeks and her eyes and hair and lips and neck. And then he goes below the neck. There's a couple of things below the neck. And I mean a couple literally. (laughs) He starts complimenting those. He names them. If that ain't preaching, I don't know what is. Come on. And then he goes lower and lower and lower, complimenting her entire naked body. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's okay. So what is God alluding to here in chapter one? Everybody, like, invite people for that week. What is God alluding to here in chapter one? Here's what he's saying, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that before marriage, this is so huge, this young man, because of who he was, flowing from whose he was, it fueled how he was. That physically, he stopped 
at the neck with this woman because they weren't married yet. He didn't compliment anything else on her body because he had not seen or felt anything else on her body. So he stopped with what he could see above the neck. He honored her body by pursuing her purity. So ladies, here's a principle that you need to adopt. Single ladies in the room. All the single ladies, all the single ladies, single ladies in the room. Here's a principle that you need to adopt. Okay, you might want, it's not on the screen, but you might want to write it down, and this is from your pastor. Okay? If he won't stop at your neck, you need to punch him in the throat. <laughs> or choose an area more sensitive, I don't care. <laughs> Guys in the room, it is not manly to conquer a woman sexually. The most manliest thing we can do is to cherish a woman's purity, to guard it and protect it and defend it. And one of the reasons the, this couple was able to remain pure is they didn't put themselves in compromising situations. So, so I'm, I gotta fly through these because we're running out of time, but verses 16 and 17 now, chapter one. The young woman says, you are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed. Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house. And pleasant smelling firs are the rafters. She wasn't describing how the room was built. She was literally saying, as Tommy Nelson says, we're outside. That, that literally they spent time together in public. Why? Because it is, it is much harder to abandon your purity at Starbucks than it is on the sofa in private right? So they put some measures in place that kept them from pursuing that impurity. And this was not because they were prude. The, the desire for this was there. They were just protecting their purity. So jump now to chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Here we're going to see this woman's desire for this man. They're not married yet. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. He escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Strengthen me with raisin cakes, which in that culture, culture was an aphrodisiac. So strengthen me with, with an aphrodisiac. Refresh me with apples, which also were considered a sexual aphrodisiac. For I am weak with love. I want to give myself to this man. His left arm's under my head. His right arm embraces me. Now this, actually, we know that this is actually not what was happening. This, she was speaking to desire. Because two verses later, we see the man was not even there yet. In verse 8, she says, I hear my lover coming. So when she says this, strengthen me, I'm, I'm weak. She was saying, I, I want to give myself to this man. But there's one verse that separates her desire from his arrival, and it's so good. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, says this, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, O daughter of God, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. In chapter 4, we're going to see the time was right. God's telling us that that feeling you feel, that desire you have to give yourself to someone you love, it's good, it's right, 
but it's designed to be awakened at the right time, in the right way, with the right person. It's good, but it's not yet. It's not yet. If desire becomes my focus, I'll be distracted from being fulfilled. So how do I keep from being distracted? Here's all three points in one phrase. I think especially every single person should write this down or take a picture of it or something, but this is what we need to lean on. Focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are, fueling how you are. Focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are, fueling how you are. Well, yeah, but Pastor Jeff, if I could just find the right, no, 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 no. Focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are, fueling how you are. Well, well, Jeff, if my husband or if my wife, if they would just, if they could just, no, 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 no. Focus on who you are, flowing from whose you are, fueling how you are. Friends, if all of us would put that into practice, can you imagine the difference we'd see? If we stopped worrying about everyone else and just started focusing on ourselves, say, I, I, I'm going to be the right person more than finding the right person. I'm going to be the right person more than making my spouse change into something I want them to be. I'm just going to be the right person. Now, I know in doing a message like this, there is lots of guilt. The reason I know that is because I have it. Like for some of you, you're thinking like me, man, I wish I would have taken this seriously when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, we don't have that opportunity for those of us who are older. So I know that when I give a message like this, man, our enemy, the devil, he swoops in and he starts making us feel like crap. Can't you believe what you did? I'm there. All I know is this. I can't change what I've done, but God can change who I am. There is forgiveness and there is healing and there is freedom in Jesus' name. So if you're like me and you have what I'll call a checkered past sexually and relationally, God's just right there saying, I, I love you and I want to forgive and heal you. My wife and I, we're still, we're still working through baggage from our own checkered past. I'm not sure it ever goes away, but it can be forgiven. So if you need to be forgiven of that, you can seek God for that right now. But maybe you're thinking, man, Jeff, I, oh, there's some good principles here, but I, I've not, that, that, that whose I am piece, I've not nailed that down. I've never put my faith in Jesus. He's not first in my life. And you need to understand that God, in the form of Jesus, came as one of us. He died because of us. He rose victorious so that any one of us could put our faith in him, be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, an eternal life with him forever in heaven, that Jesus came for you. If you've not ever put your faith in Jesus, you can do that right now. By saying this prayer, you say it, silently in your heart to God. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. That he came for me. He died in my place and he rose from the dead. So Jesus, I give you all, I confess all my sins to you. Everything I've done, please forgive me of that. Wash me clean, make me new. Come into my heart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna repent and turn from my old life. Do my best to follow you in this new life. Thank you, God, for loving me just the way I am. Help me to love you and follow you back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, 
Would you do something very bold and just lift your hand up and leave it up and say, yep, that's me. I just asked Jesus into my heart. See you back there. See you right there. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. All the way in the back. Praise God. It's awesome. Awesome. I see you guys right here. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Yes. Listen. That's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the hardest one you'll ever live. So we wrote a devotional called 21 Just For You. So if you'd stop by guest services, ask for a 21-day devotional, we'll put one in your hands. It gets you taking your next steps in Jesus also. We'd love to know about it. We're not going to do anything weird. Just want to celebrate with you and offer you some tools. So mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart today. That would be amazing. If you're new here, uh, please stop by the living room on your way out. Love to meet you there. If you need prayer for anything going on in your life, Stop by the purple tent in the back of the auditorium. There's a team there that will pray for anything going on. And we're going to keep doing this next week. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be challenged, but we're going to be changed. Amen? We're going to be changed. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. You're dismissed.